to another episode of The Top Step. My name is Ryan Roland-Smith. Now, in this episode, it's a fun one for me. I'm joined by fellow Aussie and good mate, Liam Hendricks. Now, I started this podcast and called it The Top Step because some of my favorite memories in the big leagues were standing on the top step of that dugout with teammates hearing their story and being inspired by their journey. For Liam, that journey started just like me, a kid from Australia and becoming one of only 34 players to make his major league debut. He's only 22 when it happened with the Minnesota Twins. But like a lot of guys, struggled to stick around at the big league level. Something had to change quick. He was designated for assignment five times in a span of four years. But in 2015, he was moved to the bullpen and that's where his career went off. He went from being a AAA pitcher filling in on big league rosters to becoming the A's closer, a major league all-star. Oh, and by the way, found himself on the list of top 10 highest paid athletes in Australia. I hope you enjoy this episode as Liam Hendricks joins me on the top step. No matter what happens, Ryan Roland Smith has something to tell his grandkids right here. Here comes the one-two pitch to Junior now. The breaking ball, he struck him out. Yeah, that will be a story for the rest of his life <laughs> as he strikes out Ken Griffey Jr. and the inning. All right, Liam. So this is the first chance I've I've gotten to, I've gotten to do this with a fellow Aussie. So this is, this is going to be fun. But I got to say something, dude. When I was texting you coming down here, and I was coming to spring training with the Mariners, you're obviously here with the A's. You know, I was texting you, and you said, "Hey, yeah, let's do it. Let's sit down, have have a chat." Uh, I said, "Hey, I can come to your place," and you're like, "No, no, no. There's like dogs and cats going to be running the market." <laughs> Something to myself. Was he running the zoo? How many dogs? And how many dogs are we talking? So, with us in spring training right now, we have two dogs and two cats. So right. we have Jack and Stella, who are the dogs. Stella's a Chihuahua. Jack's a Terrier Chihuahua mix. Gotcha. And then with the two cats, Winnie Cooper and Temperance Brennan. Winnie Cooper. Oh yeah. What's the backstory behind well, that? Uh, just a name that just stuck. <laughs> like it was, and she is clumsy as all heck. So she is just what she's a puppy cat, so she acts like a dog. She'll like just lick you and sit on you and do that. And Tempe is the uh, the normal cat, kind of gotcha. a little skittish and and all that. But um, yeah, we and then we've got three more cats back in Florida when my mother in law looks. Wow. At so how do you guys drive across the country? How do you get these guys across? No, we fly. Fly. Uh, yeah. So Southwest does a pretty good job of um, taking care of like you can have multiple animals. Right. So we could put both cats in the same carrier and then. Uh, take them on, take them on with you. Take them on with you. We don't put any on underneath. Okay, so so you got four pets. Yep. Flying on Southwest. Yep. Damn, dude. So we, uh, well, that was the that was the plan. We ended up uh, getting a little bit bougier with it towards the end. And <laughs> so coming from coming from Florida, direct flight or no? Uh, well, the flight we ended up getting on was direct, but we had booked it to go through uh, Atlanta first right. and then we we're trying to grab my uh, my wife's niece to come and, and help us out with it because she was just looking for a trip uh, okay fair enough what do you have passengers around you like giving you looks no nah, they're actually pretty good like Stella everyone seems pretty good right yeah most yeah. of the time like Stella's Stella sleeps she actually gets annoyed when you wake her up unless you've got food she's my little girl so she's a little chunky thing because I just spoil her too bad and then right. Jack will go on Christy's lap underneath the blanket and the cats are pretty good like for the first 10 minutes they'll meow a little bit but yeah. it's nothing like piercing or anything yeah, yeah, crazy yeah. and then then they're, they're good after that see I, I got a boxer and you know there's a couple issues a couple of years ago with dogs on planes so boxers can't fly anymore pretty much across the board 
Yeah, so if I get, if I'm if I'm gonna take her anywhere, I gotta drive. So I was, dude, I was thinking when you texted me that, I was like, oh, he drove across here for sure. That's a hike. Yeah, I uh, if that ever if it ever comes to that, like we'll we'll drive. We're like we're not gonna leave our, like leave the kids at home. <laughs> I, I honestly thought we were dealing with pit bulls here too, because that's something I want to talk to you about later. Something you do, um, one a charity you work with. But we're here in spring training. Are, are you a fan of spring training? Uh, I'm not a fan of day games in general. Right. Just because it's it's too early. <laughs> like I'm an early riser. I, I wake up at seven thirty, eight o'clock every yeah. morning, regardless. But still, like getting your body time to be able to play catch at ten, it just everything hurts way more. It's unbelievable. That's true. Yeah, especially especially in, and they throw in these night games yeah. in spring training. If you got to back it up, usually they're pretty lenient. You know, your coaching staff. Oh no way! With our first our first three games of spring training, we had a because it, it rained the first week of spring. Right. So they pushed it back. Well, we played the Cubs. Well, the Cubs have a new TV deal, so they wanted to make sure they got that game in, which is, fa- which is fine. And, but we went from that to having a night oh game to God. having a split squad the next day, oh, day two of camp. Brutal. So luckily I just avoided all of that and pitched like a couple of days after that, so we're good. Spring training, though, for you has got to be different to what it used to be back in the day. Right? Yeah, I mean, uh, back in the day, I mean, you used to have your running programs. You used to have like your – endurance tests and all this to make sure you didn't get fat over the off season pretty much yeah and then as a younger guy you're going out there like i remember like my first uh so i made my made my, the big league debut before i went to my first big league camp right so like i was one of those guys yeah yep. so i mean i just remember the minor league camps where you've got the wool jerseys that are thick and yeah. in florida you've got four four guys that are all the same number as you so you have to like label everything three times and, it's and you were the twins too. I've heard. Yeah. I mean, they're pretty, pretty. St- I mean, I don't know if they still are now, but back in the day, they're pretty stingy with the the gear too, like the dry fits and stuff. Yeah, they used to be. Uh, they used to be. You'd get your stuff, but you wouldn't get too much. And it was one of those things where you just you did what you did. And luckily enough, I was able to kind of uh, go down to Dick's Sporting Goods and find a couple yeah. things on sale. <laughs> it's got to be different now <laughs> at this stage in your career. I read an article just recently. You said you never want to get comfortable, right? Coming into spring training, you had a monster year last year. Obviously, an all-star and, and everything. I want to I want to dive into that in a second. But coming into this spring training, and you know, this is a mistake that guys can make. Have a good year, right? And you've dealt with a, a lot of this throughout your career as far as like uncertainty, uncertainty. But still, from where you were, let's say with the twins, coming in fighting for that spot to now knowing that you're in a, you're an established major league pitcher. So spring training has to be a little bit different vibe, right? I mean, you can go out there and get absolutely shelled. You're having a good spring. You can get shelled and you're not going anywhere. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting place for me because even coming into last season, like I was making a little bit of money, like I was making above the minimum, and but I still wasn't kind of sure how it would go. Um, yeah, so I mean, back when I was with the Twins, I'm coming in, I'm fighting for that fifth rotation spot. Yeah. And then the next year, I was doing the same thing. And then the year after that, I'd been DFA'd four times. I get into camp. I'm just happy to have a job. End up getting one of the first cuts down. Uh, and then 15 with the Jays is that year. I was out of options. And I'm coming in, and they, they pull me in. I'm like, hey, you're going to be a reliever now. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't care. Like, any way to make a team so I don't have to worry right. about, like, thinking yeah. about possibly going a career or anything like that. Nothing against that. But it was yeah. not what I wanted to do at that point in my career. Luckily, I made the team. And then, yeah, I mean, even when I made the team, that's when the kind of complacency set in. I made the team in 15. I had a really good year in 15. And then I got traded to the A's. Mm-hmm. And when I got traded over here, I was like, oh, no, I'm fine. Like, they called, they called me in the offseason. You're going to be one of the setup guys. So I'm sitting there like, okay, perfect. We got Doolittle in the, as the closer. 
I'm going to be like the seventh or eighth inning guy. And they go out and sign Madsen. They sign John Axford. They sign uh, and they trade for Mark Zepchinski. And all of a sudden I'm sitting here like, okay, what's my role going to be? Yeah. Didn't have a good spring. Was just resting on my laurels from the year before. And yeah, it's just uh, that was my first real taste of getting into that thing where I'm like, I can never get comfortable. Yeah. As soon as I get comfortable, I stop working at my craft. So when you look at numbers in spring training, because, and, and this is, yeah, especially after the last couple of years, probably the only time I'm going to get critical. But you're traditionally a slow starter. April, you know, you look at your numbers. Last year is a complete, you know, that's obviously, that's a little bit different. But usually April, I mean, you're struggling out the gates, right? So when you come into spring training, even at this point in your career, you're having a good spring right now. You pitched yesterday, right? Everything feels good. You're healthy, no health issues. But when you roll into April, if what changes? And I, I, try, I try and put my finger on this because, you know, look, over in Mariners camp, everyone gets excited about these young guys. They're dominating, pumping 97, you know, middle of March. What changes once April rolls around? I, To be honest, I have no idea. Like, this last year was the first year that I've actually had a decent April. <clears throat> and even then, I didn't feel great. Like, I felt good in spring training. I felt fantastic in spring training. As soon as we got to Tokyo for the opening uh, – the uh, opening series last year I kind of just didn't feel comfortable mechanically and I don't know if it was the flight I don't know what it was um, but yeah I went in there and all of a sudden I just I was able to get some decent results yeah. luckily but I still didn't feel comfortable and then the previous years I'd been okay in spring training I'm trying to feel everything out and then it's almost like okay now the games matter like mm -hmm. okay I, don't, I can't just pump a oh fastball direct down the right. middle I need to make sure it's on the outer the outer little eighth yeah. I need to make sure it's the perfect pitch. And as soon as I start doing perfect pitches, I mean, no one can do that. I mean, even Greg Maddox, he'll tell you, like, I had, I wasn't that I was trying to make sure it was that inch off the plate or inch on the plate. I was trying to get it out there. And if it came back, it came back. Yeah. And I just kind of worked yeah. that way. So I just, I right now, I'm, my theory on everything is split the plate in half. Inside, outside, that's it. Yeah, and I feel like, too, and this is why I'm bringing up April, because I feel when, when you look at your time – in the big leagues, I feel like you started to have your struggles, not struggles, but your your time of, you know, dealing with adversity and everything else once you got to the big leagues with the Twins. So I feel like you can get through April, have a bad month, and be resilient enough because of everything when you look at your career and, you know, because uh, – and, and this is what I don't think people understand. Like nationally, people – everyone knows who you are. Everyone knows who you are now. I went down to those winter meetings and oh yeah, Liam Hendricks, man, he was he was starting. Oh, he got he got robbed of the, you know, AL reliever of the year and all, all these all this talk. But I'm in the back of my mind, you know, you're Australian, man. I've watched you like a hawk since you first got to the big leagues. You weren't those first couple of years. You weren't sticking around. You're doing well in AAA. Got to the big leagues. So I feel like you have that ability to get through April because not many guys can, man. I was one of them. I have a bad April. I'm screwed for the rest of the year. I minor leagues, big leagues, wherever. Yeah, I think um, so. You look at my minor league numbers. Like I had, I pretty much did really well in April. Like it, April got me called up a couple times, but in the as soon as I got to the big leagues, I just put too much pressure on myself. I'd sit there and be like, "Well, I can't afford to struggle because if I struggle right now, there's this guy chomping at my back trying to get called up." Um, I mean, in the minor leagues, you didn't really have that. In the minor leagues, I was like, "I don't know who this guy is." Here you go. Here's an OO fastball. Here's whatever. Yeah. I'm just. I didn't. I never had to worry about who it was or anything because I just. I was ignorant to the fact of who players who players were. As soon as I get to the big leagues, it was kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, well, this guy's made however much money. He's been in the big leagues for this long. I need to make sure that I can get this ball, this fastball away to him so he doesn't crush it. So you 
still have, you know, because I talk to other guys, you know, like Grant Balfe was one of, one of my very, you know, really good friends. One thing, and everyone's different, man. E- everyone's personality is completely different. I think with, with Grant, he has that attitude, I don't care who you are. But that takes time to build up, right? For you, when you're pitching and you talk about, you know, when you, when you see these guys come up, as opposed to when, you know, 2011 when you were a rookie, 22 years old. Now, you know, I'm Liam Hendricks. Like, it's a situation, dude, I'm going to throw this pitch, you ain't going to do anything with it. Is there some of that? I mean, or do you still have that respect when you see someone come up who's been in the big leagues for 10 years? Uh, well, I mean, I respect them as players and as a person, but on the mound, no. No, gotcha. I started that. That was, my, that was probably my biggest change last year is going to that mindset of, Right. You're a number up there. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Aaron Judge, whether you're like what what your numbers off me in the past have been. Um, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to prove that I'm better than you and I can get you out no matter what it is. Now, there's a little bit of a chip on my shoulder coming into this year because I gave up five homers last year. Mm-hmm. And of those five homers, I'm like, I, I'm coming after. I think I, fa- I think we will end up facing all of those teams. So I gave up. Uh, there was the first one I gave up was a grand slam to Alex Bregman on a curveball. It was the only hit I gave up on a curveball all Where year. Where was last that? Year. Was that at Oakland? At Oakland. Okay. All right. So you can't. It was a one-one curveball right on, down on the middle on the drumming drumming <laughs> machine. <laughs> no, it was a one-one curveball right down the middle. I mean, unfortunately, for me, I don't like giving up other people's runs. None of those runs were my. The only run that was mine was Alex's, unfortunately, and that that kind of irritated me. But then there was Brett Phillips with Kansas City. He got me. Eric Thames with the Milwaukee. He got me. Mike Ford. Are, are these all significant home runs? Uh, like game-changing home runs. So Brett Gardner hit me for t- to tie the game. Mike Ford walked off the next one. Uh, Eric Thames, I think he tied the game with his. Bregman, it was a f- it was f- they were up four nothing and ended up being eight nothing after that. It was in the fourth inning, like it was earlier on in the year. Brett Phillips tied the game. Like most of them were game tying gotcha. or anything like that. Because you're always last couple of years have been situations where the game is. Yeah. So it's just, I, but I also remember those because now I've got a chip on my shoulder. I've already caught up with Brett Phillips and been like, yeah, he, I'm like nine times out of ten you're missing that. And he goes, yeah, I know. Right. He goes, but he goes. I had to. I hit it, and then I had to close my eyes because I was just like could, I could feel you staring at me as I was running around the bases. And I love Brett. Like me and Brett uh, had a core group at a uh, Christian conference. Like right. we're we're pretty close. And he, yeah, he's uh, he's one of those guys. But I mean, you remember certain things. You remember the guys who hit a big hit off you. you remember those. And now I've got a chip on my shoulder, and making sure that that doesn't happen again with those people. So just going back, when you first came to the U.S., right, rookie ball, two thousand seven. I'm going to run some numbers by you in a second for Australians, right? We're both Australian. I want to stay on that topic for a little bit about how hard it is to do what you have done in these last couple of years. I'm going to get to that in a second. But you, I mean, you out of the gates, you're a pretty big prospect with the Twins. What do you uh, think? Like uh, when, when I'm talking... I mean, it's, it's hard to define prospect as an international free agent signing. Mm-hmm. Like, so I came over from Australia. I got a decent bonus. Yeah. But well, how I much did you sign for? 170. Okay. So, I mean, I got a decent bonus. It yeah. wasn't like a huge amount. It wasn't a small amount. Mm-hmm. I mean... It was, yeah, I think of what they say, about seventh or seventh, sixth or seventh round, roughly. Yeah. So, I mean, I came over. I didn't really have the pedigree that some of these guys who were first rounders going. I didn't have the data behind it. And nobody, this was before social media, so no one really knew who you were. Yeah. But for me, it was just coming over. And luckily enough, I had a good GCL. I had a really good extended, whereas that was, the, that was my first issue with I was like, they came in, we, we get our meeting, and like, okay, we're just going to take the best 25 to Elizabethan. No matter what happens, mm-hmm. I didn't give up a run all of extended. Didn't walk anybody. 
I think I, sorry, I gave up one run and extended. Didn't walk anybody through twenty something innings, and then I'm still sitting in the GCL. And I'm like, well, why even bother telling people this if it's not true? Yeah, it, it, but I was also eighteen, and uh, yeah. like that's just how it was. I didn't realize that at the start. Came to that conclusion later on. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm I'm about to get to when you got to that prospect status. I remember I was in rookie ball. Well, oh, I was in extended spring, and um, it was my pitching coach said, to, "Look, if you're a starting pitcher, you're considered possibly being a prospect." If we're going to put you in the bullpen, you're not. He just flat out told us. And sure enough, you know, we're, we're looking at the, uh, you know, I guess we had like a list of who starters. I was in the bullpen. And I, I said to him, I said, oh, what do I have to do to get a start here? And I, I pitched really well. And he said, it's not happening this year. Like they knew that before, you know, this, the rookie ball season even started, right? I signed for 30000 bucks, So I, it was, I was earmarked for that non-prospect status right away. And then the next year they said, oh, hey, you know, he throws three or four pitches, maybe he could start. So for you, after once that rookie ball season was done, that's when you started slipping into that prospect status. Yeah, I mean, I didn't get kind of any prospect recognition until probably 2010. Because you're, so like you're, you're making your debut at 22. Yeah, 2007 was a good year where I had, a, yeah. I think I had a 2-4 in the, in the GCL. And then I missed all of 2008. I had spine surgery in September. So I missed right. that entire season. So like all of a sudden I'm going back to square one. Next year, I go to Elizabethan, did okay in Elizabethan, had three starts there, got called up to Beloit, slept at the foot of James Beresford's bed on a, on a uh, duvet, and then I had two duvet covers over me. <laughs> and then I did, I did okay. I think I had like a three and a half, like, yeah. which is, I consider okay, but for me at the point, I was annoyed at. Yeah. And then the 2010 was the year that I really kind of hit my stride. I started in Beloit, Wisconsin, and had like a, a low one as a start of that year. Get called up to high A, and the same thing, like I... I think I was four outs away from the minor league ERA title that year. And that was kind of the year that vaulted me into kind of the prospect kind of statuses. And, but this is also before social media. I think maybe before that there may have been a chance or I would have known about it a little bit more. Dude, I know back in the day you didn't know. I mean, you had to yeah. wait for Baseball America. I remember guys yeah. would get mad if their name was in Baseball, Baseball America. Baseball America or you'd have the old fellas that would come down and have like a book like the um, yeah. the, the, uh, the, 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 the Minnesota Twins yeah. the Minnesota Twins like handbook or whatever right. it is. And if your name's not on that, you're like, well... <laughs> got to start looking at an off-season job. It's so different now because I mean the Mariners are filled with all these young dudes. Are all you know, they all know that they're you know high on 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 the priority list already. Yeah, they know yeah. when they come to the clubhouse. Yeah, the big league clubhouse. They walk in like they they know that they're good. Yeah. So I'm going to run some numbers by you now. Again, like I said, we're both Australian, obviously. Now, when you signed, the year you signed was 2007. Yeah. Right. Fifteen Australians signed that year. Fifteen. Right. Now, out of that, in, the, in a 10-year span... Now, uh, first of all, how many twins w signed when you signed with the twins? Oh, I mean, I don't know that year how many there was. I know there was me. Beresford, technically, I don't think he counts as the 06 class. Um, there was Jared Ecott, Taylor Rowe, Brad Tippett, Matt Williams was a year before. Uh, these are all guys in the organization. These are all guys with yeah. the twins. So this is, these are all guys that were in the GCL. I'm just running through the names that yeah. were in the GCL with us. Right. Um, Elliot Vittle. Um, so it was half the team was Tim Athen. Right? I mean, we, we when we had an Australian dinner, we had to find someone who could afford to pay right. for the dinner. So, right. <laughs> so we had like there was a good 12, 13, 14 Australians just within like the twins, like like extended spring yeah. training, right? And so we all hung out. Like Jared Eco was my first roommate. I was able to catch up with him a couple of years ago in Seattle when he flew over for his brother. I mean, it's you keep in contact with a lot of these guys as well, which is really which is really cool. All right, so, so back to this. So, so again, 15 Australians that you're not all, obviously not all with the Twins, but throughout different organizations. Um, out of 
you know, I'm going to run through a 10-year span. I was looking at this this morning before I, I sat with it because I'm fascinated by you know, some of the, the trajectories and stuff like that. So in 10-year span from 2001, 2010, 156 kids signed. Half of them didn't get a full season. Like <laughs> either they played like in short season, yeah. extended spring or rookie ball. They so came over to extended, went back to the MLB program in, in Queensland. That's what happened to Taylor Rowe. He went back and then he just decided to, to can right. it because he got one life, one chance, tattooed on his forearms and then decided to blow his one chance. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Lucky, <laughs> lucky you got that. So this is a 10-year span, 156 dudes. Eight of them got to the big leagues in that 10-year span, right? I'm not talking about, you know, I'm talking about the guys yeah. who signed. So going back to when you're, you know, from a 17, 18, 19, up until a 22-year-old when you, when, you, when you burst on the scene with the Twins, what separated you, do you think? I mean, because you, you're around all these Australians. I'm, I'm talking Australians in general, even, you know, any kid who signs to play professional baseball. What separated you? To be honest, I think like so a lot of the guys were position players. Like I kind of rocketed through the system and the fact that I didn't walk anybody. I threw a lot of strikes. I didn't really have great strikeout numbers or anything like mm -hmm. that. But I just never put anybody on base. So right. like I'd give up my hits. I do this, but if it's a three-one count, I'm getting a ton of ground balls and getting a ton of outs rather than walking a guy. I think that was the biggest, and that was also in the day and age of the Twins, where if you're a right-hander who threw 92 with a good changeup and didn't walk anybody, gotcha. they loved you. Yeah, and gotcha. that was just in that situation where I was. I didn't walk anybody, and a lot of the that was at that period where walks were the devil, and I was not really walking anybody, which is great. Like I think um, the year in 2010, I walked 12 guys in 100 and something innings. And that was just kind of that became yeah. my staple. Like I'm, I was getting ahead, and I wasn't walking anybody. Yeah, right. So, and you you do need that moment, do you, don't you? Like, I mean, I'm, you know, I think Australian kids, and um, you know, we've both been through this, but I think they go through these different phases. Like, at first, you know, they go play rookie ball, or they sign. You know, they get that fitted hat. You know, it's still nice and nice and fresh, and and they feel pretty big time because they're part of an organization. All of a sudden, that grind sets in. And I don't care if you're Australian, whoever. The minor leagues is an absolute grind. And then all of a sudden, then you get to that moment where you, you're either, it's going to happen or it just ain't. Yeah, right? I mean, I was pretty much, like I never I never looked at the future too much when I was coming through the minor leagues. Like I came over to the GC, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to enjoy this year. Went home, came back, same thing. Like then I got hurt and then it was kind of just sitting around and I got really good at Call of Duty when I was hurt. I mean, that's yeah. just how you do. You, I was, I was back to the hotel at like nine thirty in the morning, and the internet was great at the old Clarion in Fort Myers before. But then about five o'clock, everybody else would get home, and gotcha. the internet went to absolute <laughs> crap. So I'd have to get as many games as I could. And <laughs> then it was just one of those things where I never thought about the next year because yeah. I never worried about it. Because if I start worrying about what's going to happen next year, then yeah. and I did get extremely lucky with certain guys ahead of me getting hurt. Yeah. So like I was meant to in 2010 and 2011, I was meant to start back in high A. And then someone got hurt in double A. So I went up to double A and was just able to put it together. And they say that the jump from high A to double A is one of the hardest jumps in baseball. I didn't really experience it too much. Like I ended up putting up a two seven in double A that year and then got called up to triple A. Did okay, not great. And I was, it was going into my protection year. And all of a sudden, a two star, a starter went down to triple A. So I got called up there. And then a starter went down to the big leagues. And I was, I don't think I was doing the best. I think they were just, they had to put me yeah. on the roster anyway, other than lose me. So they're like, oh, let's see how he goes. Gotcha. And then get my September call up in 2011 at the age of 22. And um, yeah, we've kind of been in a 
topsy turvy role since then. But did you did you have was there someone in the organization that you you know back then that you kind of leaned on or you know you sponsor basically in the front office? I I had a guy, my double A pitching coach Brad Holman, man he he got me into the Arizona Fall League. If it wasn't for him. There's no because basically like oh no he's he's not gonna play in the four league and luckily someone got called up so they couldn't play in it but he was my dude man I mean he, he looked after me like he was that guy that said to me I, I used to throw you know a slower curveball and I had a pitcher coach saying you throw that thing too slow scrap it I was like oh man that's kind of like my pitch you know he goes oh if you go high levels you're not gonna be able to get anyone out he's like no dude it's nasty the the the, the speed differential blah 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 he's like no it's not that's that's like that's big league and I'm like. That was that moment where I'm like, oh, okay. I'm slowly creeping into double A, triple A. He was my dude, man. Was there someone in the Twins organization or? Um, I'm trying to think. Like there was, uh, there was some time. Like I can remember the pitching coach. I remember Ivan Artiega from the GCL. Like I just remember there were certain things that he had told me about. Okay, like certain guys that yeah. just just throw him a first pitch slider, just mix it in there every now and then. And then there was Gary Lucas in, in Beloit, Wisconsin, who was fantastic. He kind of mentally helped me out a little bit, just yeah. trying to get through the grind of being in Wisconsin. And then it was um, Steve Mintz, who's now – he actually was a, uh, one of the managers in the ABL last year. He was my pitching coach in high A. He was the, the, uh, the Auckland team. Gotcha. And awesome. then I get, to, I get to double A, and it was um, – oh, what was his name? It was one of the brothers. But he was great. Like, he was – but every <laughs> – he was great until every team in the league realized uh, – Stu Clyburn. He was great until everybody in the league realized that as soon as he had a mound visit, the next pitch was always a slider. That was his <laughs> every time, every single time. <sighs> but then I get – like, we had uh, we had some different pitch coaches throughout, like, my AAA tenure. And yeah. we had uh, Rick Anderson in, in, the tw- with, uh, in the big leagues with the Twins where, I mean, I wish if I could go back, that would be one thing. It would be I got to the big leagues at the age of 22. Mm-hmm. Don't try and change. Right. And as soon like I threw, I had my first game, went seven innings, gave up three runs against the White Sox. And all of a sudden I'm throwing my bullpen. He's like, okay, try this, try this, try this. Right. I wish I would have had the kind of wherewithal to be able to go to them and like, look, I'm comfortable where I'm at. Like, if, or at least ask for a reasoning behind it. So I think I was, yeah, but you're 22 in the big leagues. You don't want 22, wanna, man. You have to be coachable. You, you, have, have, a you have to be coachable. You have to listen. You have to do that. You have to be malleable. And so I just went in blind and all this, yeah. and it took me a long time to because as soon as I started changing everything, I was like, okay, well now I need to make sure this is the perfect pitch, and that's yeah. where my doubt ever started setting in, and gotcha. it took me until halfway through 2018 to get over that, and that's six years. I was going to ask you about that. So from 2011, you make your debut, and those first couple of years are rocky, right? I mean, you, how many times have you been DFA'd? Five. Five times. Cleared once. But okay, five, yeah, so I went uh, Twins to the Cubs, Cubs to the Orioles, Orioles to the Blue Jays. Uh, then I was traded from the Blue Jays to the Royals and then DFA'd by the Royals the day before the World Series in 14. Still got a ring, the American Championship ring. It's still in, still in the crib. Why and are then, you wearing uh, it, dude? Oh, you got it on right there, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah you good. got it around your neck on a huge gold chain. Yeah, yeah, the, the runner-up <laughs> ring that I wasn't there for while I was playing in the Dominican. Right. <laughs> Playing in the Dom. Uh, so, you see, I mean, and that's where, man, that's where it gets hard. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, you got to the big leagues. But sticking around, you know, there's another thing, another number I looked at. I don't know the exact numbers now. It's changed a little bit. But to get two years in the big leagues, there's only, I mean, how many how many Aussies have made to the, to the big leagues? Uh, Less than 40, there, right? There's 34. 30, I, think, I think Thorpe may have been 30. Because I was 31. Saul Paul Beresford. 
is uh, 32, 33. So um, Thorpe is 34. So sticking around in the big leagues is hard. Yeah, I and mean, you I, dealt with that those first couple of years, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I, the, that was the thing. Like, I had really bad numbers in the big leagues and really good numbers in AAA. Right. And I was just starting both ways. I could just never kind of turn that turn that thing. And then uh, got put into the pen with Minnesota. And I remember talking to my uh, to uh, Gina, Gene Glenn, who was the manager in AAA. And then we ended up being the third base coach in the big leagues that next year. And he was like, man, I wish we had kept you. Because all of a sudden, you went to the bullpen that year. Yeah, you had two, in it, you had two like... Your two relief appearances were both 100 pitches, but your velo crept up, and all of a sudden yeah. you you were 93 to 95, and your slider all of a sudden instead of being 82, 83 was 86, 87, and he goes, I w- I was fighting for to keep you, and put you in the pen, and then all of a sudden, I mean I come back and last year was the first year that 100 popped up across the video board, I was in, and that was against the Twins. It only read 99.9, so I still couldn't claim it, but it was, it's 100 on the board. <laughs> it's 100. It's triple digits. <laughs> no, I, I ended up hitting 100 at some point there in the year, so I can claim that now. I'm not going to get it on my glove like Ken Giles, but <sighs> I can claim it. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. No. It, it doesn't suit you. No. Um, now, yeah, uh, now, 2015, before that, like you said, man, start of 91-93, the Twins' way of pitching back in the day, throw a ton of strikes, throw the contact. The game's changed a ton. But 2015 rolls around, and you said it, man. That velocity is looking at the average. Your average velo was creeping up to 96, 97. Where's that? I've been dying to ask. Where, where, how does that happen? Well, I mean, I went. I played in the Dominican that off season, so maybe I got something. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so no, for me, it was like I, it was my first year in the pen, and so I kind of got into that mode of like, okay, I can throw a little bit harder now. I'm, and then as yeah. soon as I scrapped my wind up, I, I managed to coincide with I scrapped my wind up. The Blue Jays traded for Mark Lowe from the Seattle Mariners. Mm-hmm. That was the year he had like a one with Seattle, and it was unbelievable. And he gets there, and I'm like, okay, what are you doing? Like, how's this? How's this? Right. And he goes, well, I, I long toss every day. So I'm like, okay. He's we're a playing. big long toss. I play with Mark for yeah. a couple of years. So yeah. we're playing catch now. So I, we long tossed every single day. And as I long tossed, my velo kept creeping up. And, I mean, I started the season off. I was probably averaging 93, 93 and a half, maybe getting – touching 95, 96 every now and then. But at the end of the year, I was – pretty much sitting 97 touching 99 mm-hmm. and i credit that to just one gripping it and ripping it and then two is just a long toss because you're looking around you get put in the, in the bullpen you're looking around you're like man everyone throws gas well we had the, that was the year like so i i get there and they're like you're gonna be the long guy in the pen i'm like oh that's fine we're right. gonna carry two long guys and they came to me after that thing it was like look we were planning on having you for a month and then dfaing you and and moving on with that thing and but you at pitched the other guy you outpitched the other guy. You were able to be put Who's in situations. Todd Redmond. Okay. So you were able to go out there. and We were both in the same role. He had a little bit more big league success previous years. But he ended up having a, a tough April and was never able to rebound. Right? That was my first year I actually had a decent April. And then kind of moved from that. And then, um, yeah, I got put into some bigger situations and got a little bit more comfortable in the bullpen. But that was the year we had, I think we had six or seven guys hit 99 yeah. in, the bull, in the Blue Jays bullpen. I mean, we had... Brett, we had Latroy Hawkins as a 42-year-old throwing 96. I, I remember that because you and I met in 2014. We crossed paths. I signed with the Blue Jays. Crossed paths. We're roommates. That's, well, yeah. That's <laughs> what I'm saying. I'd never met you. you know, no. and obviously, I knew who you were. You're, exactly. You're Australian. And everyone just talked shit about you constantly. I was like, oh, this guy's not too bad. No, I'm kidding. I'm joking. I mean, it doesn't shock me. <laughs> I don't joking. shut up. I mean, that's. Well, I'm surprised we've asked, you've already asked six questions. I mean, it's just I talk way too much. <laughs> yeah, but there's a way to talk a lot and – 
have it where you can actually have a conversation and there's also a way to talk a lot where it's just obnoxious. And yeah, I feel like that. I have some substance towards what I talk right. about. Right. Yeah, you and I, yeah, I mean, we, I, we hit it off, man. I was like, oh, because like you said, I signed with the Blue Jays, went to AAA and did, in AAA, you were starting at that point, you were still low 90s with that sink and you weren't even breaking a sweat. And then everyone's like, uh, is this guy going to get, you went up a little bit, came back down. They were, they were waiver wiring everyone, mm-hmm. right? But I remember that 2014 and 2015, everyone was throwing gas. I still remember the pub we went to in Charlotte. We went to that little English pub and got like a pie That's while right. we were walking to the field. It was a brand new field and that stadium sucked for a pitcher. I mean, Anthony Ghost hit one oppo out. I mean, that was a joke. <laughs> I remember that. Pl- yeah, that's right. The brand new stadium. That's yeah. right. And they ran out of eggs in the morning for breakfast. That that series were there. Where <laughs> there was no food left. And we're just sitting there like, what are we doing? That's right. I remember. Yeah. Typical. <laughs> yeah. Typical minor league. Yeah, it doesn't seriously. matter how, how nice the stadium is. You're yeah. still going to run into something that just yeah, drives exactly. you nuts. All right. So, because before we got on there, you were talking about your work. You know, you're not a big workout guy. No. I Yeah. So, I had some, like in 2018, I had a cyst in my hip. Mm-hmm. So that turned out to be from squatting. I have a uh, cam impingement in my hip, which just means that every if I go too far down, my hip will catch and it'll pop. Right. And so the, they said that that caught the psoas and that the psoas kind of split a little and the cyst came from that. But I've got the hip. I've got uh, I've had two knee surgeries on my left knee. Um, I've got so just some ailments that are just yeah. niggling stuff that you can deal with that uh, – that have kind of limited me because I used to be a big like squat guy, like heavy work, heavy legs, yeah, not I'm, so much upper body, but heavy legs. And since I've had all this come up, I've just kind of stepped away and done a little bit more body weight stuff, some band stuff, and just focused a little bit more on my on my core rather than doing anything else. But yeah, the only time I really go into the gym, especially during the season, I don't like altering things. So I don't like all of a sudden I'm going to lift and then I'm going to be sore that night. Well, what happens if I have to pitch that night? You don't like altering things because you're superstitious? No, I just don't like feeling tight I, oh sorry i don't like feeling lethargic by because i did a workout that morning and as a reliever it's tough because yeah i could throw that night so i could work out the next day but what happens if i throw that night and then it just keeps going and going and going is there anything you do that if if you yeah and not not so much superstitious i find that when i've been through massive struggles and then all of a sudden i'm on a roll like you are right now in your career that you never want to go back to some little alter of the you know, alternate routine I guess that's superstition. So I'm a big routine guy. Like I'm, it's not superstition. Like it just, it's a, it may be a little OCD in there. Like I have to put my right sock on first. If I put my left one on, I can Dude, do it. Dude, that's superstitious, man. But I can do it. It's not that it, it just feels weird. It's like, it, I, it, yeah. it's not like I'm, I have to take them off and put them back on again. Once they're on, it's on. But it just feels odd to me by putting my left one on first. And I'm left footed, so I just don't understand it. Gotcha. Because, yeah, if I touch that rosin bag, any part of my, my body b- before I pitched got shelled. <laughs> it's so weird. And it's just this thing. It's not, I'm not you know, superstitious, but it's this thing like, oh, every time that happens, I get hit. So subconsciously, it's it's that thing of, man, if I, if I miss this pitch, he's going to crush it. That just seeps in because of that, that friggin' rosin bag as opposed to, See, I'm just going to throw this pitch. He's not going to do anything with it. Yeah, my wife told <laughs> me when, I was in, when, I, when we first met, we, mess, we met when I was in high A. And later on the season, I come back from my appendectomy. And she's coming to the games, and she goes, yeah, I've noticed that every time you throw a ball for the first pitch of the game, you suck. So as soon as like – after that, every time oh, I'm like – every time I get on there, I'm like, crap, this better be a strike. Then I'll throw a ball, and then I'll go like seven scores. I'm like, see, it's false. <laughs> and then the next but time I'll throw a ball, and I'll get give up four. And she's like, see, it's true. <laughs> it's tattooed in there, though, dude. That's, oh, that's Like to the point where I still remember. I don't even start anymore. It doesn't bother me as much anymore. 
But like that was the day where I didn't have the stuff where I could afford to really fall behind too many guys. Now, just back to the velo thing, and I need to ask, and I think we've may have we may have talked about this. Now, weighted baseballs is huge, right? I mean, it was something. You know, I I did a, I got my velo back. I needed something extra to get my to get some velocity back, and I'm not talking 97, but I'm talking 90 plus. Um, but back when I was doing it, man, it was taboo. Like I had to go sneak off and, and do it. You're not a big weighted ball, weighted baseball guy. Uh, so. Not in the sense of like the driveline stuff. Yeah. Like um, I contacted them this off season just to get some stuff because I like the plyo balls to like warm up with yeah. a little bit. And I really, I throw the 11 ounce ball. So like I will get the kilo uh, plyo ball, mm-hmm. kind of just move it around. This is yeah. thou- like thousand grand for Americans. Well, <laughs> I don't even know how much, 2.4 ounce, whatever it is. Yeah. But I'll get the uh, ball and I'll just kind of, just go through like some mechanical stuff with the ball. And then I'll get the 11 ounce ball, which is an actual baseball. Mm-hmm. And I'll throw that. So me, I play catch with Joaquin Saria here, and we throw the 11-ounce ball every single day. And then we do that until it's loose, and then we go and long toss every day. And that's just kind of my routine as much as far as the weighted ball. And then in the bullpen during the game, I'll grab the uh, green plyo ball again, the uh, the kilo ball, stick a baseball on top of that, and just kind of do some forearm stuff, just kind of moving my wrist around and making sure everything's kind of loose. And that's the only stretching I do during the day. Yeah, so one other thing... I need, to, I need to ask you about this, man, because I was there. Now, 2017, we had the WBC, right? You decided to turn that down, play for Australia. Very late. Last minute, yeah. yeah. Why is that? So I, me and Glenn Williams were in contact the entire time, and I'd spoken to Willow, and I was just talking to him like, look, if I don't feel comfortable, like if I'm not kind of there, I need to focus on my career as well because like every year at this point is kind of uh, an interesting year for me. I'm going into my – I think that was my first year of arbitration – so I'm going in there kind of like I need to kind of live up to the arbitration salary. And I get a spring training. I'm feeling okay, but I'm just – the last couple of outings I had, like I wasn't – like nothing was coming out right. Like I was kind of yanking on stuff. And the problem with the WBC, especially that year, was Team Australia was playing in Japan. Yeah. And so that's a 16-hour flight there, 16 hours back once you get with layovers and all this. And all of a sudden, like I'm going there and I'm not guaranteed to pitch. So I can't afford to kind of take a week off in the middle of spring training when I get back and then all of a sudden there's only like six days left. So, But in talking to Willow, I was just saying, hey, look, just plan plan for me not being there just in case. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like I, I emailed him like, look, hey, it's just not the right thing for me. The team was for me going, but they were relieved when I didn't. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they ended up having to try and scramble to fly somebody out there, even though the entire time we'd be like, hey, look, if you can, if it's in the budget, yeah. take another guy with you just in case. Yeah. They told me they did. They didn't. And then that all ended up happening. But it also gave a kid who was, what, 18 a chance to yeah. play in the World Baseball Classic, which, I mean, I got that chance in 09 when I went. Right. I just wish if the roles were flipped and it was in Mexico, like like uh, mm-hmm. the 2009 one, I probably would have gone. The travel wasn't as big of an issue. I could go there, pitch, and if I and then I could only miss four days maybe. Because 2009, I turned it down. I remember a couple of guys texted me and said, oh, yeah, you know, some guys are talking shit on the team or whatever. And I was like, listen, it's 2009, right? I had a really good year, t- 2008, and I'd sort of broken through as a starting pitcher. I walked into spring training. We had a brand-new coaching staff. And they day one, they kind of said, look, you've got this WBC thing. I said, yeah, I'd, I'd like to go if it's an opportunity. And they – look, Major League Baseball basically says it's up to the player. Mm-hmm. You know, the players' union says, right, if the player wants to go, they can go. They're yeah. free to go. But the writing was on the wall for me. The conversation was, look, 
you're not going to go because we want to see you pitch. We want to get to know you as a new staff, new GM. Like, yeah. I was still a young dude back then. Well, at well. that point, especially as a starting pitcher, you need to get your innings yeah. built up. And right. if like you're going to the WFC, you need to either be built up for five or six innings already. And that's in the middle of spring training where you're not quite at that point. So it's like, you know, they don't want to rush you. I mean, it's 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 such a tricky subject, but I would love to be there. Yeah. But it's just tough. Like it's it's it's, it's tough. And and, and there's my, no right my, or wrong. My point being is 2017, there was a couple guys on the team that were like, oh, you know, what the hell? Like just, you know, blind. it's like, all right, put yourself in his shoes for a second because you do have to, you're still competing for a job, right? It's huge. It's, and, and look, WBC is awesome, but you're talking about flying to Japan for three games, maybe throwing a couple innings, right? And, and it's, you know, again, it's, it's, it's a great thing to be a part of that team and everything else. But let's let's go big picture here for a second. That's why I, I just say so you know I had your back when when we were talking about it. I was like, are you kidding? I was well, like, I mean, don't blame I, him. Are you ki- don't leave spring training right now. He's got to make a freaking well, team. Was, like now that I'm thinking even more, and it was the fact of that was 2016. I I ended up getting hurt. I ended up having a tricep strain. Yeah. And before that, I had like a seven. And after that, I had the sub two. Right. And so all of a sudden, I'm moving into a possibility yeah. of if I have a good spring training right now, I'm moving into the chance of being that solidified setup guy who all of a sudden if I get however many holds or if I get all of this, that can completely change the trajectory of my yeah. career. Right. And it just, it, it, I mean, I didn't really think of it along those lines at the time, but it was just one of those things where I'm not comfortable. I need to make sure that I think about my career first. And if it works in or if it's not as, if it's not too detrimental, I can do the WBC. And you know what? I mean, the, the guys who had been there, being in that situation, they all got it. They're mm-hmm. like, yeah, I mean, are you kidding? Like, I'm yeah. not mad. I totally get it. Yeah, but some guys, you know, whether it's a, you know, jealousy thing or it's something where they've never been in that situation, your arbitration year, that's when you really establish yourself. I remember for me that year, I was, I, I got in my head massively because that's oh, a yeah. year where a you can make a ton of money, mm-hmm. and b it's you really you start calling the shots. I did the bit. same thing. Like I'm going in there, I'm like, okay, like I, I still remember there was a, a story that Mark Zipchinski told me of a former guy he played with with the Indians that would count how many saves he would need or holds he would need to get to a certain dollar amount throughout the course of the season. That can, dude, that's dangerous. I started to get a little bit onto that. Luckily, he yanked me out of that. Like, me and Mark are still extremely close. Like, he yanked me out of that, and I was able to get away from kind of holds and innings and strikeouts and all this in in terms of dollars, like, to the point where I had no idea. Like, I was talking to, like, Blake Trina last year. I was like, this is in September. He's like, oh, so... How much do you think you can get an arm? I'm like, I don't care. There's still two weeks left to go in the season. But this is something like he he's a very methodical person. So and it works for him because that's just the way he operates in day to day life. Where me, I am very blase blase and need to kind of not know what's going on tomorrow or this afternoon. Like yeah. if I know what time I have to be somewhere, that's all I need to know. Right. That's probably why you are suited for the bullpen as well. Without a doubt. Yeah. There's that. I mean I all I need to do is sit out there and then I'm not surprised when the phone rings. Dude, I was the same way, man. <laughs> I had to, as a starting pitcher, I had to take that mentality into starting. Like, mm-hmm. I'd wake up in the morning and be like, oh, I'm going to conserve energy all day. Mm-hmm. And the minute I just, if we're on the road, just walk around the city. I love the, just go you to know? a city, walk around. Yeah. Like, Seattle's a great city to just wander. Yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. Plus, one of my favorite steakhouses ever was the Metropolitan Grill. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's decent. <laughs> decent. <laughs> now, speaking of that, now, I've got to ask you a couple things on that. We're talking, you know, 2017. Now, your, your career's kind of hit that whole new level recently, right? You're, you're now a major league all-star, which, first of all, congrats. Only, uh, you know, 
You're the third Australian to ever do that, right? It's an amazing accomplishment. Do you think people back in Australia, where you're from, whether it be Perth or nationally back in Australia, understand the magnitude of that? No, God, no. not at all. <laughs> I mean, I, I was really, really confused because I've gone over my, like, been talking to my, uh, my wife and some of the guys over here about it. Like, yeah, you go to X Australia, no one knows what baseball is. You can't, they don't really recognize you. And of course, the first couple days we're back in Perth, I go down to the local IGA and a guy's like, hey, are you Liam Hendricks? I'm like, oh, wow. Like, seriously? It turned out that I had done a coaching clinic with his son. Oh, nice. And his son had just kind of kept up with it a little bit more. And then that's how they break. And it was like uh, two minutes from my house. So, okay. Does that bother you at all? And I mean, not, not that you like, oh, you want me to go home and be famous or anything oh, like that. Oh, God, no. But it, it's something, and I'm going to you know dive into a little bit more of what you've done and, and where you kind of rank with other af- Australian athletes in a second. But it, it's look, I'm going to be honest, it bugged me sometimes, man. Because there was, I'll go home, even in the baseball, not so much in the baseball community, but outside it. Because in the baseball community, I'll go back in January, do camps and stuff with Next mm-hmm. Gen Baseball. And I talk about it, all the kids know who you are. Yeah. It's awesome. That's what I'm saying. The- Dude, five years ago, not, not with you in particular, but Australian players, like, oh, do you know Grant Balfour? Who? Yeah, it's like no, come on, man. You're Australian. You're 12 years old. You need to know who that is. Luckily, Australian baseball. It's not the biggest community in the world, but it's a very, very yeah. tight knit community. Yeah. And it's just with the day and age of social media, the day and age yeah. of it's so like, it, like, and it also helped with this. So like, bring up Grant. Like, if you didn't know who Grant was, luckily when I got, I had my opportunity to go to also game. His name was thrown around a lot. Yeah. So some of these young guys are getting introduced to guys back in the day who were able to kind of pave the way for guys like me now. Yeah. And it's just that's anytime an Australian does anything, it brings back all the old stuff. And it brought up like Dave Nielsen when he was the all star yeah. and then stuff like that. So it brings up a bunch of old names that kind of get thrown around. And then all of a sudden people get, if they're anything like me, they research them and they like to know yeah. everything about it. And that's just the way it goes. Definitely has changed the last couple of years. Kids have access now mm-hmm. go on YouTube and, or, you know, yeah, I, I, it's just, it's just one of these things, man. Like, cause I used to go home and say, Oh yeah, Played in the playing the big leagues, or I played in the big leagues. Where like, oh, cool, awesome! You're 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 a sportsman, right? Like, yeah. Typical, oh, you're a sport. You're then, a batter then, or a bowler. Yeah, yeah. But then I say, oh, hey, by the way, I went to the Olympics in back in 2004. Like, oh, you're an Olympian. Yeah. And we both know, man, and a lot of people know that to get to the big leagues is way harder than playing baseball at the Olympics, right? I mean, it, right now there's only six teams going to the Olympics this year, right. so I mean, that it may be on par with just. If your country gets there, it's not as yeah. difficult to make the team. Yeah. But I, getting your country to the Olympics is damn near impossible. I mean, Team Israel's going this year. Yeah. With a couple of my actually really close friends and Danny Valencia, he's going this year and he's been they've been flying him from Florida to Israel to practice. It's unreal, man. I mean it's and we, and we can't and a team Australia can't get any funding whatsoever. And don't get me wrong, going to the Olympics was like top three, top three memories for me, dude. And I wear it proudly, trust me. It was an amazing experience, but there is those times where I'm like, I, I want you to know if you're not in the in this baseball circle that playing in the major leagues is really tough. Playing in the Olympics, it's awesome, mm-hmm. but it's not like swimmers and, and you know who are winning medals and stuff. Well, you like look that. at it in this terms, like okay, there's been 34 Australians to ever make the big leagues. Mm-hmm. There's what 25 that go to the Olympics every time, right? Yeah, theoretically. Yeah, and now. I need to ask you this too, man. I I, I got to touch on this now. At the All Star Game, there was a big. The Oakland A's were doing a big ad. <laughs> they put it back in Australia. Now, can you you do the honors, mate? In Australian, uh, sorry, Oakland's slogan is rooted in Oakland. Yep. Now, just to get, just to 
I, I can empathize here a little bit. I work for Root Sports. Yeah. Any time, if I go on social media, I say, yeah. oh yeah, and it says Root Sports on, I cop it, mate. From my my buddies back in Newcastle, especially, it's like Root Sports. Oh, you work for Root Sports. Can you tell the listeners what does rooted mean back in Australia? So, like the way they came up with the slogan for Rooter in Oakland is the oak tree is with tree roots, and it's like we're trying no, to. No, I'm talking about. No, no, I know, but yeah. I'm just getting to. I'm, <laughs> okay. There's a little backstory, but I'm just getting to the point where like they uh, they got to the point of rooted because they were trying to prove because of the other teams leaving Oakland, they wanted to be they wanted to show that they've got their roots there. We're not leaving. That's an so awesome they, slogan. Yeah, so like, they came up awesome. with rooted in Oakland. Well, I told them in April when they came up with this, I'm like, you know what rooted in Oakland means in Australia, right? It pretty much means you had sex in Oakland. <laughs> in, yeah. In, in much more colorful terms. They're like, what? I'm like, yeah. So I told the president, Dave Cavill. Dave Cavill loved it. Absolutely loved it. He's like, that's great. So they came to, when I made the All-Star game, they're like, okay, we're doing a full page spread in the West Australian. And do you want it to include rooted in Oakland? And I'm sitting there, I'm like, ah, well, I'm like, no, let's do it. Because you know what? That's going to get more press than anything else. That's going to get more, yeah. pre- it's gonna get more press right, on that. Dude, you're smart. And you so with it. baseball trying to gain a little bit more popularity, popularity in Australia, I'm like, no, let's do it. Yeah. Because you know what? It doesn't, it's not a term in Australia where it, it may have negative connotations, but it's not a term where everyone's going to be up in arms and aghast and all this. Right. Yep. So it, it kind of gained a little bit of awareness. So I had a bunch of people asking me about it. I had a bunch of this, like, were you aware? Like, of course I was aware of what it was. I told <laughs> them, let's, let's go ahead and do it. Because you know what? It's going to gain as much press as we can from this. Yeah. Because um, I remember that. And, and you know, I just thought it was funny because, you know, my boss, when I first, when I got done playing, I started, you know, getting into broadcasting. And, and I, now, when they, they, it used to be Fox Sports Northwest and they switched it, the branding was, was Root Sports. You got to be kidding me, right? Like, so I'm sitting there with him, just like we're sitting now. And with my, I'm trying to impress this dude. It's kind of like an interview, right? The the, the executive producer yeah. for Root Sports, John Bradford. And we're talking. I'm killing it, mate. Like I'm saying all the right things. I'm dressed nice, the whole thing. And I'm still like on that, like I'm in that zone of don't say anything stupid or whatever. And then he says to me, Rise, we're about to walk out. He goes, oh, yeah, how are you going to deal with the name? I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, Root. <laughs> I was like, I, w- I was just like, where do I go with it? He goes, because I know what that means in Australia. He goes, you're going to struggle back in Australia, dude. Like, and it, it was funny because when they were coming up with that, they had this huge, and I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure Oakland, the Oakland Athletics didn't have to deal with this. But we're so close to Canada. They're, they've got Roots clothing in Canada. Yep. So that was one thing. And then someone comes storming in the room. I've done some research. You know what this means in Australia oh, and in yeah. England? And the guy, whoever was doing the head of branding, came up with this, he had this huge campaign to make it root sports. He's like, I don't care, blah, blah. And they, co- they even copped it, even though it was a regional network, they still copped it from fans who, you know, expats and stuff from Oh, England. I don't know. Yeah, so it's just funny. I had, to, I had to ask you about that. Now, speaking of your All-Star game, now, obviously, All-Star game, amazing experience. Okay, if you're telling a 12-year-old kid something that they wouldn't know about it, something that was cool, I'm putting you on the spot here, or telling me, I mean, because I've never freaking been in an All-Star game. What was something about that that you remember, which was just like, man, this is, I feel like, I mean, I've made, I'm a freaking major league all-star. Was there a moment that was going on in that weekend? Uh, th- during the weekend, I mean, so it was an odd, it was an odd experience the entire way through because I was, I didn't make it originally. I was added late. So they told me when I was in Seattle, when we first got to Seattle, they're like, okay, you're leaving in four days to go to the all-star game. Then we jumped on a private plane. Well, there's seven guys in the private plane. They told me, like, hey, look, if your wife wants to come, like, she, if she is, she here? She's like, I'm like, no, no, she's back in Oakland. I'm like, okay, good. 
I'll book her a flight from Oakland because we have a seven-seater plane yeah. and we've got seven people on it. Right. So then we had a four-hour flight with no bathroom because the luggage was in the bathroom. So I'm sitting there reading my book and don't drink anything because I'm not stupid. But then we get to we get to Cleveland at like 2.30 in the morning. My agent's there. My wife's there. Like They've all set up and they've all been having a good time for a couple of hours. <laughs> yeah. And so I get there find out the schedule we get in there the schedule for the next day it's like okay you uh have to be here here and here and it's just it's non-stop it is non-stop yeah. and then you, the home run derby started at like eight didn't end till like 11 30 and so i'm just it, it's tiring exhausting it's exhausting and love uh, like so my wife my parents are coming over for my cousin's wedding in vancouver and they um they rearranged their trip to come down and meet me early so we were able to kind of film that my wife helped some with some of the um the organization of that and um yeah, it was just cool. They were able to get there in time for the game, which is really cool. Uh, but it's just, yeah, the first day is media day, and then you've got this, this, and this, then the home run derby, and then the next day you've got is the actual game, so you have the parade and all this. But it was it was a great experience, but, like, I was so confused. I mean, they're like, okay, yeah, it, um, so if you want, you can yeah, just take your phone out to the bullpen. I'm like, what? Right. What, do mean, what do you mean take my phone out to the bullpen? Like, yeah, let's take your phone, like, take some photos, post them online, and – so I'm sitting there like, what? And I use, so I have my heat maps up for the guys I'm facing. So I use a scouting report from a different guy. He's called Into the Blue. And so I'm using this guy. I'm like looking at my phone, looking at the scouting reports, seeing who's up and all this. And I mean, it, it's good in the fact that the game doesn't mean anything anymore, which is fantastic. Were, were you you're still nervous though? Oh, without you? a doubt. Yeah. I mean, I also started running in and they did the uh, stand-up for cancer thing, which is a really, really oh, yeah, cool that's thing. that's right. That's right. And so as I'm running in, I'm sitting there like, I'm like ready to go, and then I have to stop and stand there, which, which is a really cool, like, touching moment, especially with uh, yeah. Brad Hand and yeah. all the Indians guys over there doing it for Cookie or Cookie. Yeah. But it's, um, yeah, which that thing that it was just, it was such a cool experience. And then I got Lindor behind me, who's mic'd up the entire time talking. I'm like, who's he talking to? Uh, it's just, it was a, luckily I went out there with Chapman, came in to, as a defensive replacement at third yeah. base. So it was like, I wasn't the only Oakland guy out there, which is nice. But it's just it was it was a surreal moment. I mean, because you're on that national stage, and I know you've pitched in the playoffs, but man, I mean, you, you're on that national stage. Did, what does anything change after that game, the second half of the season for you? Do you feel like or no? Um, for the first few outings after, I felt like I had to live up to expectations. Right. And then I kind of realized that that's stupid, and by not live, like not worrying about what anyone else thought is how I got there in the first place. Yeah. Right. And that kind of made it a little easier. Um, so obviously, I. My first couple of outings after the All-Star game, I kind of had that little hangover period where I had a, didn't pitch very well for a couple and then was able to rebound and get back at it. But, yeah, I think um, yeah, once you get over the fact of just not worrying about what anyone else thinks, it's, it, it wasn't too bad. Do you, what, do you have a walkout song? Yeah, so my walkout song last year was, uh, was Queen mixed with Rage Against the Machine mixed with Prodigy and a little bit of Skrillex in there. It was a mashup by D, uh, DJs from Mars. Wow. So I've, the last couple of Walker songs I've had have been mashups. The one before that was Taylor Swift with, uh, mixed with Black Sabbath. Is, is this something you come up with? Uh, I mean, I just look, I, I, I like my music. So are, you, sit, are you a Rage Against Machine fan? Yeah. Dude, yeah. favorite band growing up. I'm yeah. actually seeing them. They're coming to Seattle in April. So. Are, we, are we there? Are we there in April? <laughs> April 28th. Probably. You come no, we, 30 times. We don't, we don't face, we won't face the Mariners until May, mid-May. That's Bizarre. But uh, we're also done with Minnesota the first week of April. Right. For the year. Gotcha. <laughs> but um, yeah, so that was, I just scouring music and I like my mashups and it was just like that kind of progressed to that. And it's it's a cool beat. It's a little bit 
faster pace than your average song, so it uh, gets you a little hyped up. But now you, okay, so you live in Florida. Now I have this theory: any Australian who, because Grant Balfour lives out in Florida, any Australian who lives in Florida, especially for you, I feel like you've cut the cord with Australia, not in a bad way, but. I used to get really homesick. I had to get every offseason, when, even when I was in the big leagues, I had to I had to, I had to get back to Australia. It's like a, a reset button for me. But when you live in, in, in Florida, right, you got to fly across the, the West Coast, then you got to fly into the East Coast. And for you, then you have to then fly across the... Australia is basically the same distance across yeah. from right to left as the US. Yeah, it's about six hours to LA, 14 hours from LA to Sydney, six hours from Sydney to Perth. Do you, do you try and get back to Australia a lot? Do you feel like so you usually, miss home? I definitely, there's certain things I miss about home. Like I miss seeing my family, but luckily they, um, we've kind of gone back and forth. So we, like I try and get back every other year. Uh, like I was there last year, I'm going back again this off season for my sister's wedding. But it's one of those things where we try and get over every other year and they try and come to us every other okay. year. So luckily I'm, I'm able to see my family. I'm able to see kind of that but going home I mean there's nothing better than just going home and getting a, like a nice meat pie and just kind oh, yeah. of hanging out and it's uh it's a cool experience just going back and doing that but yeah Florida getting to Florida it's definitely uh it's definitely more of a trek <laughs> than uh than your average but I mean at the end of the day it's the same thing getting from Perth to anywhere else so it's just it's it's never been as drastic for me because like I came over with the twins mm-hmm. you're flying to Florida every offseason yeah you're right. flying, it's just Florida to Perth and I get screwed out of that a lot but yeah, I, I mean, rookie ball for me, even years after that, I used to cross off days on a calendar because I was, I was that, maybe I was soft, I don't know. I was just really homesick. I, I, was, I was 18 when I first came over, so I was uh, ready to expand. I was yeah. ready to uh, sow my wild oats and run around and do what I could as an 18-year-old in the States with an Australian accent. Yeah, no, I was, yeah, yeah well... Hey, I was still eight. I was eighteen when I came over. It was still like, oh, I miss home. Yeah, I, I got well, lo- not that bad. Some dudes no, just qu- straight up quit, man. Yeah. They can't. We got. Can't I hang. got lucky in the fact of the twins. So the twins had, had fifteen Australians. Yeah. So you, that you, makes everything so much easier. And then as a a few years into it, I get your you get your American friends. You get the guys you hang out with a lot of it. And then as the Australians kind of started, unfortunately, dropping off a little bit, you stick with the guys that you've been on the team with. Mm-hmm. And I advanced a little bit quicker than some of the other Aussies. Like I got to a point where I got to Lowe and there was Jimmy Beresford was already there. And then I went to du- I went to High A before he got there. And then I went to Double A, and then I had no Australians. Was there any bitterness amongst the Australian crew? Not amongst the Australians. There was a Dutch guy who kept getting real bitter because right. we were similar. Like we both gotcha. pitched in the GCL, did well. We both went to Elizabeth in the next year. We both went to Lowe, and then we're in High A. And it was one of those things where. Every time I'd have an off, like there'll be an opening, it would be like, oh, okay, it's between us two. And I kind of got that opportunity every time. Right. And I think there was a little bitterness from him, but not really with the Australians, because at that point, there wasn't really many Australian starting pitches anymore. So, like, Tippett came over, he was originally a starter and then moved to the pen. Jared Eco went straight into the pen straight away. Gotcha. So, there wasn't really any Aussie starters. So, it's like, I don't really, there was no competition between us because I was the only guy who was starting. Right. Now, do you keep updated? Do you, do you stay up to date with footy as far as AFL, cricket, or any of that kind of stuff, even though you live over here? Yeah. Okay, I'm got, asking for a reason, by the way. I've got my Willow account where I keep up with the cricket. I've got my Aussie Rules fantasy oh, you stuff. you better but, than me. So I do. I have my Aussie Rules fantasy. Like, one of my really close friends back in Perth, I asked him, like, hey, do you guys have a fantasy league? He was like, yeah, well, my, my buddy's been trying to get me into it. And he goes, well, I'm forcing you into it now, so you got to get me in. And so we've been doing that. This is the second year doing that. And I keep up with the kangaroos a lot. So I get my watch AFL pass that I watch it all on. And 
Yeah, and, and the reason I ask this is I went back 2014, the, the year you and I ran into each other. I started the year with the D-backs, went back to Sydney for the opening series. And, you know, I was getting all this, you know, media attention because I'm Australian, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm with the D-backs, whatever. And they're asking me, like, oh, you know, who do you follow? You know, who, who, this, and I'm like, oh, I don't follow cricket or footy's too hard when I'm in the States. It was just kind of this, it was this blank stare. And then it was written up like that I was no longer Australian and all this kind of <laughs> thing. I was like, oh, man. So after that, I was like, I have to join a tipping, a tipping comp yeah. or something. I have to stay with it. I felt bad because I was like, I, I didn't mean like that. I just, it's freaking hard, man, when you're over here. It drives my wife insane of the amount of sports I actually watch. So I'm a huge hockey fan. I'm a big Montreal Canadiens fan. But I'm, then I'm also keep it like, so I get the, the footy on my phone. So it's like, it's like I'll be, we'll get done with a game once the season starts and I'll be like, okay, who's playing? I'll just turn on whatever game while I'm on the bus. If she's not with me, I'll just turn on that and listen, I'll listen yeah, to the game you, on my headphones. And, me. And not but I also grew up playing footy. So I gotcha. also grew up like I was an All-Australian representative at 15. So I kind of had that background. My dad's a scout. My dad's best friend's a scout. Well, there you go. So like I've got that into it. And then cricket, I just... I've always followed. Like we went to a yeah. Scorchers match this off season when I was home, the uh, uh, Big Bash 2020 stuff. So I keep up with that as much as I can. I mean, it's it's definitely hard, just the time change and yeah. and all this. But being in um, being in Oakland makes it a little bit easier actually because it's 15 hours. So it's like it's yeah right. Well, 15 hours from Perth at least. Yeah. But it's it's it, it's so the timing is isn't yeah. too bad. And being an early riser, a lot of those games are on when I wake up. See, I was. Yeah, you know, it's it's a it's poor form for me too. My dad was a strength coach for a rugby league team. That's what we call footy, rugby league. Yeah, no. Nah, so I, I, used to, I used to play when I was a kid. I dabble with the meatheads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I'm talking. You know, I scored 42 tries as a as 11 year old, just dominated. You know, yeah, I mean, but you're um, the same size you are now as an 11 year old. Yeah, pretty. I just ran through people. <laughs> it's just basically give 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 the ball to the the biggest fattest kid out there. That was me, just yeah. just running through people. <laughs> but no, it, it's something that I was like, oh man, that was bad. It just it just looked bad because I felt like I'd cut that cord. Yeah, I never, I never got into the rugby scene. I tried to <laughs> when the Western Force was around. I got to give it to you though, mate. AFL is awesome. I got into it. I love my footy. My in-laws moved to Melbourne, and my uh, my father-in-law became a massive Bulldogs fan. That's disappointing. <laughs> I'm talking. I mean, he went to the parade when they won it. I oh, mean, he geez. was in tears. He he got the D, he couldn't wait for the DVD to cut, to to get sent to him. The whole has thing. he got a tattoo of the D, of the Bulldogs? Yet? He does or across his back. No, but he he was so into it. I was like, oh, I guess I'll get into it. Dude, I got to say, mate, AFL is fun to watch. I I, love I, it. I didn't grow up with it at I all. I love it. I so I keep. Care less. So I, my sister got me a footy for the offs uh for my birth for christmas on my birthday this year and we still kick that around a little bit and like lately i've been going more the uh the punning route just because i'm like oh we'll see like i, I can yeah. kick it so like we had marquette king out here as used to be the punter for the um for the raiders and we we're out here and it was just about their 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 off season was going on so he came out and we whipped out the football and we started kicking around well i kicked him so i'm like oh well <laughs> could be this could be a thing so there's actually an Aussie guy who uh, runs a punting school out of San Diego. Oz, uh, okay, you're talking about Oz Kick, the not Oz Kick, uh, Pro, Pro Kick, Kick in yeah. Melbourne. Yeah, uh, he's yes. killing it. Yeah, so he's done like obviously he's in the Hall of Fame for the Chargers. Yeah. So I, I'd love to head out there and just see because yeah, my biggest issue with punting is my consistency. Right. I can kick it a long way, but if I, ju I just need you to get work on it, dude. That yeah, downtime. So I need to try and catch up with Wisniewski in the in the Bay Area now that he's a 49ers punter and. And you guys, you, I mean, you're playing on a, on a football field too. Up no, they're playing on a baseball field. Oh, there, there you go. But right. we had we were there first, and they came <laughs> and they built the monstrosity that is Mount Davis in center field. All right, now, now back to back to this year for you. Now you're a free agent at the end of the year. Now I want to make this. We talked about getting recognition back in Australia. You are making 
5.3 million US dollars this year. Yeah. Right? Which in Australian dollars... Before is taxes. Ar- before tax. Well, California yeah. taxes. Yeah, California will crush <laughs> it. Now, that's around... That's just under $8 million Australian. That puts you basically in the top 10, close to top five highest paid athletes in Australia. And this goes back to my point of... You throw, you throw that around back in Australia, everyone's like, oh, man, okay. Because that, that's something that, you know, kind of, that's something that can move the needle when we're talking about getting recognition. But that, to get to that point, you talked about arbitration. And for, and for those of you who don't understand what arbitration is, basically, for three years of your, your first three years of your major league career, and that's service time, not three seasons. It took me four years to get my first year of service time. Right, exactly. So it, it's every day you're in the big leagues counts towards a full year, which is what, 180 days? 172 is 172. a full season. All right, so once you get three years of that, and this is how hard it is to get to the level you're at, you got three years of basically making minimum salary. They give you a little bit of a you know, raise, you know, 20,000 bucks. What's the minimum now? Uh, 563, I believe. 563,000. So you got three years of that. Then the next three years, you're arbitration eligible, meaning that you basically, you come up with a number, the team comes up with a number, you have to meet the middle at some point. Otherwise, you go to a third party, an arbitrator, and they figure it out. That's and a weird situation. it's purely statistical. Like there's no, there's yeah. no like oh, empathy a good team, in mate. there. Yeah. And there's nothing like that. Like that's just purely based on your statistics. And you can get really screwed mm-hmm. just in the fact of if someone before you really was like, it could have been someone before you who had very similar numbers to you took a deal a lot lower than they should right. have and it screws you that next year. Right. And, and it's something that if you don't meet in the middle and you do go to an arbitrator, they basically award. So let's say the Oakland days, let's say they offer you $3 million. You say, no, 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 I'm worth six. You go crazy on the amount. And they say, we'll see you in arbitration. Mm-hmm. It's basically like a like a court case to say. So the midpoint will be four point five million, rather. So if say it's if it's four point five million and one cent, they side with the player. So it's just it's it, there's no like okay, yeah. well you're worth four point five. Well, let's just do four point five. If you go to a hearing, it is whichever side makes the best case. That's what side they owe. So I could make three or I could make six. Like uh, it's crazy. Josh, Josh Hader this year. Yeah. He he went a lot higher than he probably should have. But he went that because he's trying to work for the guys for next time that come up and have similar numbers than him that they're able to kind of establish that new kind of standard. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, he wasn't able to win it, but yeah. it was one of those things where he's trying to push the envelope to get guys paid earlier and quicker. Yeah, and and if you risk it, if you go too high, and first of all, yeah, the team would just say, sorry, we're not going to meet you in the middle because yeah. we'll, we'll get you at arbitration. There's no way you have a case to make it that high. The other thing, though, if you somehow win it when you're that high, it can affect you know, your relationship with that team or what happens because they're like, dude, we just can't afford you at this value, especially if you have a bad April. Trevor Bauer. I mean, he right. went to he went to a hearing his first two years, won both of them. After the second time, the uh, so the arbitrators can be fired by both either side at any point. So after the first after his second win, MLB walked in there and said, Yep, you you three are done. You fired the arbitrators. You're you're gone. And so then they got new guys in for the rest right. of the cases. And that was just they they have that's unilateral. They were allowed to do both sides. Yeah. Like if the PA wanted to, the Players Association wanted to, they could do the same thing. So back to the fact that you're making $5.3 million, which is a ton of money, right? So it's a lot of money. It's life-altering money. You go on your Instagram account, you're not out there buying flashy shit, cars and everything else. What do you do with that money? I mean, I may have splurged for my 30th birthday and I bought a Range Rover myself, but that was also once I've been okay. established for a little bit and yeah. I... It was my thirtieth birthday, so I was yeah, like, "Yeah, but you're not you're not banking up three cars in the driveway." Oh God, no, no, ridiculous. I'm, we, my wife and I, have been 
we like to think we're kind of fiscally smart. So we um, we bought a house. We bought a house that if I lost my job that next day, we could afford to pay the mortgage. Mm-hmm. We bought cars where, like obviously mine's a little bit more yeah. expensive, but it was we bought cars that we know that we can afford to pay off. And we have a we have a plan. Like I'm, I go into every season thinking that this could be my last year. So if this is my last year, we're gonna have everything paid off: house, cars, everything like that is completely paid off. And my wife has two master's degrees. So she can go back, she can get a, a job relatively easy in the fields she wants to. And ho- hopefully if that ever comes to it. But we're banking the fact that we want to leave the game with no debt. And so we're going to be in the, in a situation where whatever we have, we can survive off of very, very little yeah. while doing all that. So that's been our kind of goal with spending. Like I, I'm a dreamer. I always go on that. Oh, we should buy a house here and flip it and do this and that and this and this. And she kind of brings me back down to earth. Same way when she gets into her mind about buying a boat, then I bring her back down to earth because who needs a bloody boat? Yeah, they're, yeah, they're expensive. But you just said this could be my last year. You still have that scar tissue in that head of yours because of everything you've gone through in your career. Not only, this, not only that, but I have to because if I start thinking, okay, well, I've got another six years in this game, like who knows? Like yeah. The only way that I can guarantee that I've got more money coming in is – by getting to free agency and signing a multi-year deal. And yeah, that's yeah. the only way that anything is guaranteed. So for me, it's like I am I bank every year as it could be my last year because I've played with guys who legitimately have been out of baseball after having a really good year. Do you ever think about life after baseball once you're done? Um, a little bit. That's why I keep punting. Uh, you just never know if that, if that could be a viable backup. But uh, yeah, we always think about that. It's something that we always plan on. Like it's just where we like bought a house, where we do this. It's, yeah. it's having those things where... I don't want to be house poor. I don't want to have to worry about what we're going to do to right. eat after this. So we, um, yeah, I always think about it. Like I've, I plan on being a stay at home dad until I get my citizenship and then I can go back into the workforce. And regardless of anything, once I, if, if it's a forced retirement, if it's like, I can't find a job or if I just decide to retire, I'm not the sort of person that can just sit on the couch and do nothing. It's not, it's not in, I feel like, and I've seen a bunch, I guarantee you've seen this too. There's guys like, oh, yeah, once I'm done playing, they've made tons of cash. Like, oh, I'm just going to sit and play golf every day. Mm-hmm. But if you have been so wired to be so competitive, work your ass off and strive, 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 you're going to find yourself back in something where you need to be productive. Mike Sweeney told me that once. I was 27 years old. And he said, look, man, because I had the University of Phoenix. Remember that online degree oh, yeah. thing? And it's, a free, it's free just to go listen to it. And he's. He goes, you going into that? And I thought I was big time. You know? I said, yeah. I don't need that. He goes, no, no, go listen to it. He said, and he gave me this whole lecture about, dude, it doesn't matter if you make $100 million in this game, you're going to have to be productive regardless how much money you got in the bank. There's going to be something a couple years out that you're going to want to do. Yeah, I mean, it, not that you have to think about that now. No, obviously. but I like I I sow the seeds and to people's minds. I'd love to go into broadcasting. I mean, you've done yeah. you've paved the way a yeah. little bit for an Aussie guy in America with doing stuff like that. But any chance I get in an interview, like I yeah. I did an MLB Network thing, like yeah, I am, hey, as soon as I retire, I'm going to give you guys a call and I'll be yeah. jumping on and doing what Smart. I can because it's just I I'm not the po- sort of person who can just relax and do absolutely nothing. Yeah. It's just not in my personality. And plus, there is a lot better ways to spend five hours a day than playing golf. Right. So that's like I maybe once I retire I might dabble into that a little bit. But you it's know just, golfer? Used to be, but as a reliever not, I just yeah. I can't I couldn't get into it. It's too much of a game of failure and I just right. would break everything. So And the other thing is too, I mean your wife's gotta be around you as sitting at home 
you know, that that starts to wear a little thin too. Yeah, I mean, if we, you're not being productive, or yeah, you're not we doing last about kids. two weeks into the off season, then she's like, "When's the season start again?" Yeah. Like, you need, but she has her own business, so right. she she runs a clothing uh, an online clothing right. store, which keeps her busy as well. And it's just one of those things where we both are people that need to stay. We need to continue to do things. We if I get on a couch, I'm not going to get up, and it's just going to be I'm reading a book and I'm going to get fat. So if I need to do something else where I'm actually going to be yeah. going outside and doing this, whether it's a coaching gig with, say, if we stay in Fort Myers, whether it's a coaching gig in the GCL with the Twins or the Red Sox in yeah. their kind of minor league system, or if it's something where we move on and we can kind of go over and do something else or yeah. wherever we are. The good thing is neither of us have huge ties in the States anywhere throughout. Yeah. Like her mom lives in Fort Myers, but it's something that her mom would probably right. like – isn't uh, like against moving or anything like that. So we're not tied down to any single location. So say uh, somewhere in Atlanta or somewhere in Tennessee or yeah. somewhere along those lines, we can go and we can dabble. And my wife's part Canadian. So if, we, if it was Toronto or something along yeah. those lines, we could always do whatever we want to. Now off the field, you are involved in a couple different charities, right? Players for Pits. How you doing on time? You good? Yeah. Players for Pits is one. Another one, strikeout bullying, strikeout for bullying. Yep. All right. So first of all, the the players for pits. How how do you get into that? Why is that? Why is that one for you? So players for pits is based out of Chicago, and they started in 2014 when I was with the Royals. And my wife had spoken to the uh, the founder Stephanie, and Stephanie's ex boyfriend was part of the um, was in the minor league system with the Cardinals. And I don't know how they all figured out to get in touch with each other, but we went out there, and they had a bunch of little puppies and running around and. We just got involved, so like we're on the board now. We do what we do what we can with helping out with them trying to get their own facilities. Whether they go in and like with the medical medical bills for some of the pit bulls that they rescue, because they came to the thing. It was like pit bulls are the most returned and abandoned dogs mm. in America, or right. I think in the world, but definitely in America. Yep. And Chihuahuas are second, and so we have Chihuahuas. Really? And so we kind I didn't of know that. yeah because they're little yappy things, yeah. but we aligned ourselves with them because they were doing bit of both and then they moved into just the straight pit bull stuff and i mean we you can you can just meet the like a person like stephanie just see how good her heart is and what yeah. she's trying to do and yeah last year they named it they, they named a, a pit bull after me they called it hendrix it's about a 95 pound <laughs> pit bull that it looks menacing as all heck but all it wants to do is better looking than you though oh without a doubt all <laughs> it wants to do is just jump on you and lick you which is kind of like me a little bit i guess yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, so we went out. Luckily, last year we had a week in Chicago, so we had three against the Cubs. I had a day off, and then three against the White Sox. Mm-hmm. And so on that day off, we went down to a park and we brought some of the dogs out. We did a little PSA with them, and it's just something that they do. They do such good work. They they're, they're surrounded by good people that they're able to kind of continue on with the uh, what their 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 kind of mission goal. And what about the strikeout for bullying? So strikeout bullying, we uh, we partnered with. I made sure strikeout bullying. Strikeout okay. bullying. So we uh, with out. a backwards K as well. Just in case you want to add that in there, but um, yeah, we, we did we did our own shirts with strikeout bullying, but we partnered with a company called Stand for the Silent, and Stand for the Silent is uh, a couple of parents that uh, kind of um, they went through their son was being bullied in high school or in in school, sorry, at the age of thirteen, and he retaliated one time, and when he got retaliated, he ended up getting suspended, and so he was suspended for three days. On that third day, he ended up committing suicide, and so his parents wow. kind of. Forge, forge this stand for the silent in making sure that they raise awareness. So we partnered with them. We did our strikeout bullying campaign throughout Oakland. And now we're running with them and everything kind of goes towards them. But we're also dealing with the uh, Oakland Boys and Girls Club. 
because it's just something that you can get into their system that okay cyberbullying it happens it happens to the it happens to anybody like whether you're an athlete an actress in school or anything there's other people that deal with it and it's there's no shame in reaching out to somebody yeah. for help dude the cyberbullying's out of control man I, i've got i've got a um a sister she's you know she's 13 in those first couple years of high school and it's crazy like she, you just go on her account to, and not that she's getting, you know, crushed, bullying or anything like that. But you go on, you just see the pressure these kids are under, mate. It's unbelievable. Unreal. So my wife's niece, uh, she posts a thing, and if she, and, and it's like twenty minutes after she posted it, if she doesn't have a certain amount of life, she deletes it. I can only imagine, right. and and she's one of the she's one of the more popular girls at her yeah. school, and so it's like it's just the pressure of that. But oh, yeah. I was in school. I was an in betweener. That's what I like to call myself. I was an in betweener. I was. Not part yeah, of the too. cool group. I was not right. part of the me, like the kind of the rest mm -hmm. of them. Like I just didn't have my own identity in high school. Luckily enough for Australia, in me, with me specifically, like I played football and the group of the group of guys I had around football were great. The group of guys I had around baseball were fantastic. Yeah. They were different club ball teams. So I was able to kind of expand off. But yeah, I dealt with bullying. Like I went and saw a therapist when I was in high school. Like it's just, it's something that I am very open about talking about. Yeah. And it's like my wife and I have both dealt with it even since we've been together with cyberbullying, with certain people just thinking and just writing online because there's no consequences. Yeah. Like we had a we had death threats last year when I was playing, and it was like I, you look at the year I had. I mean, how did you look at it from an out point of view, and you're like, how does someone just write a death threat? But with the day and age of sports gambling, with the day and age of everything like that right. going on, people are like just they have no they have no filter because yeah. they can make a f dummy account and they can send you stuff. Yeah. And then there's no repercussions. So hopefully the uh, hopefully there's some repercussions coming that can I kind of avert this kind of crisis and move it on. But the biggest thing we deal with is making sure kids know that there are avenues that you can go and vent and just have that person, like have that adult, have a, just a friend who you can go and, and talk to and just making sure you're not in your own head because there's no shame in talking to anybody about anything. I'll get a question at school real quick because I know you got to get out of here. You've got, you've got to go stretch and do your thing and typical spring training day but when you're at school in, i know how it is in western australia and perth for me growing up in newcastle oh baseball you're soft <laughs> not i did it wasn't a thing where a situation where it was a big heavy bullying situation where i was like oh man i'm really affected by it, it was just part of life i talk to kids now they're still the same way was that for you too well i had a you, you, pl you played footy as well so I you had footy, that okay you had I, that validation um, so so I signed, for, I signed for 170. I wasn't even the best baseballer in my high school. Mm -hmm. So we had a guy called Jason Smith who ended up signing for 350, who was part of the cool group, part of everything like that. Oh, that helps. That helped a lot. But I was always in his shadow. So like, oh, so you're trying to do what Jason does, right? And like, uh. and he was, and it was never him. It was like, he was a great guy. It was never him. It was never like, it was just that way. And even when we played, like I played football, like uh, high school sports, we didn't really have anything. We came... It was a couple times where we came second in uh, like the state, but we had a baseball carnival for the one like one year when I was in high school. We had three guys that had played baseball before on the team. It was me, Jason, and an exactly. I, a guy called Michael Dempsey. We came second in the state, right. and that was again. And the team we lost to had the San Miguel, Adam Corcher, a bunch of Australian representatives. It was not a baseball school, but it was South Fremantle, which is semi a baseball school. Gotcha. They had batting cages on property and all this. Oh, wow! Oh yeah, it's big. Big time for That's us. big time in Australia. So that was where we also practiced during the winter. My trips to get to, to practice were bus from high school to the train station, train, get off in the city, get on another train to Fremantle, get off that train, get on a bus, and then get on another bus to get to practice. 
I'd leave yeah. school at like three fifteen. I get to practice about five thirty. That was my almost era of three times a three times gotcha. a week before yeah, I got I, my license. I, I had to drive two hours to Sydney. Yeah. I, I grew, like Newcastle, you've never been to Newcastle. I nah. take it. Well, you're missing out. But anyway, it, it definitely wasn't a baseball school. No one played baseball. Me and one of my best mates to this day, Luke Bryan, we played baseball same same year at school. I've seen, I think I've heard some of his music. Yeah, 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 yeah. That guy, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he wishes, but yeah, it's so funny. We'd go to school and like I think we had a situation where the year prior to that, he had the, <laughs> there was one guy who was involved in softball, right? Like a teacher. So he's like, oh, if you're gonna play baseball, if we're gonna have a, a school baseball team, we have to. You have to play on the softball team. We're like, oh, okay. <laughs> so the year before that, they actually played the softball game just on a patch of grass at the school. Luke copped it, mate. Like. Anyone who was involved in baseball at that school or, or somewhat, like, oh, look at these, like, just copped it. Yeah, yeah. this is back in the 90s, too. Oh, yeah. So it was bad. But anyway, so I, I, I was an in-between. I wasn't a popular kid. I wasn't a good enough surfer. I didn't play didn't play rugby. Yeah, but, I never dabbled in surfing. Yeah. I never, like, and that's the thing. It's high school sports isn't as big in Australia as no. it is over here. So it's no, just it's like not. you do everything for your club. Like, yeah. I remember I had to leave clubs with touring cats because they didn't have an under 14 division one team right because those each each team has like three divisions so like I, they didn't have a division one team because they just didn't have enough people so i had to leave to go to another club and that's where i kind of went to wanneroo and that's i mean i'm dealing with with like you know kevin hooker yeah, yeah. so i'm dealing with kev he was a, it was the coach at that point like i keep right. up with kev actually a lot he's yeah. um he's still scouting out there and does all that and but it's cool like just the amount of guys you meet that you keep in contact with in Australian baseball is huge. Yeah, no, and and being back there more doing these camps and and, and different things, bringing kids over uh, to get them into into colleges and stuff like that. Yeah, you, you reconnect. Trent Olchen and, and myself have reconnected with the well, community you, back. You there. guys reach out to me all the time if you guys are in an area. So we've had you what three, two, oh, three times yeah, now. Dude, that's, you by the way, thank you. Those kids never forget that. We're basically oh, mate, it's easy. Just just texting you having the ability to text you and say hey man we're going to strain a group of 13 year olds or yeah. whoever and then you've got you blake trinan um you know chris davis you know yeah, down like every coming time you guys come over kids. i make sure to make sure like there's it was a, certain, awesome. a certain amount of guys that i make sure to come over and say hello to yeah. the boys and i mean it's like for whatever reason it seems to be la every time we play the angels there's yeah. a group of Australians. Well, because yeah we, we have a, a trip so like we 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 contact we caught up with you and then then the next series or like last year we caught up with a different group of yeah. Australians that I had no idea who they yeah. were but there was a bunch of Australian accents running around so I got those guys out there and had a conversation with them like it's so impactful mate like you have no idea I mean and you know even when I was playing some Australian group came and you know I went out and talked to them and some of those kids years and years later obviously this is a while back they're like oh I remember when you came and spoke to me and I was like oh man if this dude can do it from Newcastle he's a scrub I can do it too yeah, it, you know <laughs> it's amazing how little effort it actually takes the oh, players to do yeah so it doesn't it takes very little time it's nothing that we have to kind of grind about or mm -hmm. it, it takes nothing to yeah. do it I don't understand why more players know yeah. I don't understand yeah. why more players don't kind of help the 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 kind of the youth of today get yeah. into baseball yeah. so I've made it a point like anytime there's an Australian group out, please reach out yeah, to me. Yeah. Send me a message on Instagram. Send the re Reach out to the A's. They'll get yeah. in touch with me and just be like, hey. A the A's do an amazing job, man. Yeah, they do a fantastic yeah. job. But it's just one of those things like reach out. Don't yeah. be don't be scared. Like yeah. I'll do whatever I can to make sure you guys can get on the field for batting practice, whether it's whether you can or whether you can't. It's just, but I'll make sure to always come out and say hello. And So if you heard that, baseball fans back in Australia, if you and your family are coming to watch the Oakland A's, 
you can stay at Liam's apartment <laughs> or his house. Well, his I actually did huge run into, mansion. I did run into somebody at Disney World in LA last year and then got him out to the game the next day. Oh, there you go. He was wearing you. A Sydney, he was, I was wearing my heat oh my hat. He, was, he had a Blue Sox hat on. The ambassador. I so, love it. I mean, it, it's one of those things. Like you, you, Blue Australians Sox hat, take yeah. care of Australians. That's yeah, just how it goes. Sure. In any sport, in any kind of realm. Like I went to the... Um, the uh, Chamber of Commerce with the Australian Day, the Australia Day Gala, the uh, American Australia right. kind of Chamber of Commerce, and the amount of people that are, like we have an Australian Heritage Night with the A's this year. It's April fourteenth, so we've got all the Australian guys coming out for that. I'm giving them a playlist of Australian music to play. Speaking of, and, I, and I'll finish with this. I know you got to go. Looking after Australians, you've got to come to the Kangaroo and Kiwi Aussie Pub when you're in Seattle. I have to take Brad, who owns the place. The place is awesome. There's a nice little community of Australians there, yeah. and they're awesome. And it's it's so funny because they can hang out, you know, have a, have a beer after work, like that typical Australian yeah. culture. But we are going there. You mentioned meat pie; they have amazing meat okay. pies. Because I don't we're drink at all, which is I'm like the worst. No, that's fine. Ever. You don't have to. You, all you right, go. we're going uh, May 11th. May 11th, it's on. May 11th, Kangaroo and Kiwi. Yeah, that's what we have an off day in Seattle, so we'll go that day. Or we'll catch up there on the 12th or the 13th for lunch. And, and I mean, they've got, you know, they've got, it, it's, it's awesome. One bum, Grant Balfour walked in there, his head exploded. He loved it with yeah. all the Aussie stuff. It's not, it's not like the Outback. Yeah. I mean, this is like dead set. Brad is as Aussie as it gets. Would you ever go to the Great Australian Bakery in Scottsdale? Yes, I have been there. That's they, right. But they just, like, it's, it's gone now. They, I don't know what happened if the guy moved oh, or what. On. So, like, I was bummed because that's right next to my, <laughs> right next to where I'm staying down right. there. So I used to go there at least once a week and get a pie and do that yeah, way. Yeah. But I've been looking out for the next place and I, to the point where I'm, I think I ever, I, I don't know if I ever fulfilled the order or anything like that, but ordering some four and twenties and getting them shipped over here and <laughs> in the plastic. Oh my, Mrs. Max. Like I, yeah, I yeah. went best pie I ever had. Like it was six o'clock in the morning when I, cause we got into Sydney from Hawaii at like eight o'clock at night. There was no flights from Sydney to Perth left. So we flew out at like six o'clock the next morning. I crushed three pies at the airport that morning. Like I was, I think I averaged a pie, of, at least a pie a day for the first ten days I was there. It was uh, hopefully it was organic, gluten free, because you're sticking with that diet because you're a professional athlete. But no, three. That's a good effort. Three yeah, of yeah, a bunch of that and a bunch of lemon, lime, <laughs> and bitters. Cause you can't, it's all the stuff you can't get in the states. Yeah, I, yeah. I crave. Smash it, yeah. Lemon, but it's also it, oh, it's 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 unbelievable. Like I ate that many pies and I lost weight in, this, in Australia just the way the food's prepared. So you definitely you haven't cut the cord to Australia. That, that's good. But oh no, but Liam, man, this has been fun. I know you've got you got work to do this afternoon. And uh, it's been fun, man. I look forward to seeing a big, huge 2020 heading into that free agent year. Appreciate it, mate. Thanks for having me. Awesome.